Hello and welcome to Harney's Expert Review Podcasts. My name is Aki Korsoni Hussein and I'm Global Head of Harney's Regulatory and Tax Practice. Expert Review aims to deliver bite-sized opinions and analysis on key global governance, regulation and tax issues of importance to our clients and the wider community. Each episode features a guest speaker or two, is unscripted and intends to give listeners food for thought based on trends that we see from daily practice. In this sixth episode of the current series, we cover some of the changes to the corporate governance regime in the Cayman Islands. These changes are relevant to both licensed entities and investment funds and are designed to bring financial institutions based in the jurisdiction into line with best-in-class practices globally. In this regard, I'm delighted to be joined by our guest experts, Lyndon John, Executive Director of Product Development at Waystone in the Cayman Islands, and our very own expert, Thomas Dugdale, counsel based alongside me in Harneys in London. So first up, looking to Lyndon. Lyndon is qualified as a chartered accountant with over 17 years of experience in the financial services industry, specialising in the provision of governance and regulatory services to investment funds and complex offshore structures for top-tier clients. Lyndon heads the product development team at Waystone Cayman and advises and provides structuring services on a wide range of offshore-related matters, from tax planning through to economic substance and regulatory compliance matters and restructurings. In addition, Lyndon has experience serving as an independent director through to an anti-money laundering compliance officer in a range of institutions. Lyndon is a member of the Cayman Islands Directory Association, the Cayman Islands Institute of Professional Accountants, the Association of Certified Anti-Money Laundering Specialists, and the South African Institute of Chartered Accountants. Hello, Lyndon. Hey, and thanks very much for having me today. Pleasure to have you. Now turning to Tom. Tom is a member of Harney's Investment Funds team based in London and covers the Cayman Islands and British Virgin Islands law. Tom specialises in hedge funds and private equity funds, specifically in their formation, maintenance and restructuring. Prior to joining us back in 2012, Tom spent four years as an associate at the corporate team at Maguire Woods, London. He spent four and a half years working in our Hong Kong office before relocating to London in 2016. Hello, Tom. Hello. Hello, all. Great to be here. Excellent. Right. So let's get started. So I think, Tom, I'd like you to set the scene, if you, if you wouldn't mind, for this podcast. Thank you, Aki. Yes, this new rule on corporate governance and the new statement of guidance issued by SEMA earlier this year have raised a huge number of questions from our clients. And what we've tried to do today is to summarize these as a series of FAQs, questions, which Linda and I are going to do our best to answer the sort of the whys and the wherefores. Thank you very much, Tom. So I think the first place that I'd like to start with this one is is really to understand the background here. So, Lyndon, this is probably one for you. What's the background to these new rules and guidance? Where, where have they all come from and what is the Cayman Islands Monetary Authority trying to achieve here? Sure. And at the end of the day, this is the codification of the statement of guidance that, that's been around for some time. But as we're all aware, for the last several years, due to international pressure for transparency and, and good governance, not just in Cayman, but globally across all the financial industries, there's been a, a movement towards different rules and regulations. We, we started seeing it with FAC and CRS that then came into play. Then you had a, a updating of anti-money laundering rules around the world. We've had economic substance in Europe. They had BEPS. And ultimately, as those different rules and regulations came into play, Cayman, with a wide range of financial vehicles, had a mismatch of different rules and regulations. And to standardize them and codify them, they issued a, a new range of, of several statement of guidance a couple of years ago and also required private funds to, to become regulated for the first time. Fast forward to just this April, as a part of the ability of the regulator to enforce these guidance notes, 
they had to issue rules and, and codify them. One of the, the issues that came out from the inspections during the 2020 and 2021 period was that where there were perhaps gaps where with the compliance perceived by certain funds, the argument was we're following best practice or these are guidance notes and therefore not enforceable. And the regulator then has taken a different course and there are now rules in place which are now enforceable and have punitive action. So the nexus of this is, is bringing Cayman and maintaining its standard as a, a major financial industry in the world and ensuring that there's transparency and accountability and that any financial institution that's, that operates from the Cayman Islands is well-run, managed, and has good governance in place. Perhaps uh, the question is really not really where did it come from. It might be where's it going? And and I think many of many questions that we get from our clients is, well, what happens if you don't comply? And I always defer to legal counsel when you're breaking the rules. So perhaps, Tom, if you can give us a summary of, of what you've been advising your clients around, what happens if you are not in compliance with the rules? Thank you, Lyndon. Well, just picking up on something you said there, the uh, the statement of guidance has the initial one was issued back in 2013, and it was generally a sort of very sensible set of rules that. For the most part, funds, whether they've been regulated or, or unregulated, have been generally complying with since then. And and this year, there's just been a sort of big, big ratchet up of the sort of the significance of needing to comply with these rules because they've turned from being a statement of guidance into an actual rule, which SEMA can now, as as you said, it can now enforce and it can now enforce with fines and with administrative fines, which can be substantial. So from the way we've been communicating to clients is really talking around about the two main points. One is the independence of judgment and then we're talking to them about the governance framework that's actually in place for the fund. Now, I know, I know the question you're going to ask me, Tom, does independence of judgment mean independent directors? And I wish it did, because that's that's what we, we do for a business. <laughs> but the, the reality here is around conflict of interests and independence of judgment, and they, and they go hand in hand. And the example that I'll use is in your fund documents, and, and you'll be able to speak better about the, the contents of a document, but in the fund documents, we always disclose the, the conflicts of interest on, on those governing body members, the directors or the general partner and the investment manager. We, we actually stated by default to say we are conflicted in some shape or form, either I'm an employee of a service provider or I am an employee of the manager. And well-written documents will talk through a very high level hypothetically of what will happen in a hypothetical scenario of a conflict, which is typically an individual won't vote or you'll work around it through through following best practice or an arbitrator of some sort. But when you consider independence of judgment, it's a yin and the yang. It's the opposite of that. So if you're asking, do you need an independent director? The answer is no, that's not what the rules are asking for. The rules are saying that those charged with governance are independent enough of whatever you are considering to approve or ratify or to govern and that you're impartial enough to, to not have a biased vote. Perhaps it may impact and fairly an investor or a service provider over another, and therefore your conflict of interest will be important. So the easiest way to do that is to have an independent director because we are removed from the funds of day-to-day operations as a service provider. But for some funds where it may not be practical or it's not desired, just having a board of directors or, or members of the governing body who are perhaps principals or employees of the manager, that's fine and is permissible. But what's encouraged is that there are a robust procedures and robust policies in place that in the case there's a conflict of interest, those members on that governing body are able to follow those rules and keep that integrity of the decision. And so for SEC registered managers or FCA regular managers where they have 
by default at the management level, very robust conflict of interest policies. They have insider trading rules. They follow a very prescriptive committee planning and process. But if you have perhaps a very small committee of only two or three people, it's very um, hard to separate the mind of management of a committee to the fund's governing body. That's when you really have to sit back and consider, can you really demonstrate impartiality? And is it documented well enough to actually show that conflict of interest? And our answer to that question is an independent director is a simple solution. It simplifies mm. it. But it's not the only solution. And if you're going yep. to go with employees of the manager, it's important to speak to legal counsel to make sure that you've articulated how that conflict of interest actually works. Because in that scenario, when you have a conflict, there's a lot more bias. Whereas when you have an independent yeah. director, you can have a more generic language that says we have conflicts because the conflict isn't as pervasive as, as you would have on an independent board. I don't know if you agree with that. Absolutely. And, and there's sort of levels of risk here, I think, as to what level of risk is a manager as a fund willing to take. And as you say, I mean, the, the very easy sort of quite black and white way of you know, be, being able to comply with the conflicts rules are you know, appoint independent directors. Yeah, as, as you were just describing, if you have directors who are affiliated to the manager in some way, principles of the manager, then, as you said, it's not against the rules. You can still have those people making decisions and, and being on the board, but it's much more difficult to demonstrate to SEMA if it comes to you know, having a conflicted situation, much more difficult to demonstrate that conflict has been correctly, you know, the policy has been correctly followed, etc. So my advice is certainly in part, you know, what's your sort of risk appetite here? And, and which also comes down to looking closely at the, taking the language directly from the rule, you know, the size, complexity, structure, uh, nature of business and risk profile of, of the operations of the fund. Because if it really is a fund on the sort of much smaller and simpler end of, end of the scale, then not having independent directors is sort of, is an easier, easier advice to give. But once the, if the fund sort of much larger in size than I would normally veer toward advising on independent directors. Meetings. Yeah. What I'm seeing, and also the message from the regulator when they've attended functions in Cayman is the rules are the rules. They're written, they're there for us to follow. And in a perfect world, if it wasn't a cost or a pragmatic issue, we'd all follow them to the T. But not all funds are the same. Not all funds are of the yeah. right size of the nature. And so with my auditor hat on, and my lecture would be proud of me 20 something years later, if it's not documented, it's not done. So if you mm. are sitting on a board and you're looking at your documents, say, well, our documents cover off conflicts of interest and we have the rules in our MMA about what we do for subscription redemptions. We really meet a couple of times a year and we have a great team doing our board meetings. So they, 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 they cover all the regulatory points. What else should we do? And the simplicity that I've, that I've put in is in your next board meeting, and preferably before the 14th of October, write it down, say, this is what we do. This is how we do it. Mm. And this is why we don't need this particular committee, or this is why how we manage our financial statement processes. And just by having that little bit of discipline up front, you're capturing yep. the governance process. On funds that have more risk or funds that perhaps have more regulatory obligations on them mm. from an onshore perspective, they may want something a bit more formal. And then I say the best thing to do is to discuss it with your board and then talk to Cayman Council and say, what is the best and the most efficient manner in order to achieve those, those risk mitigating uh, items? The common theme here is the nature and the size of the fund will dictate yeah. which way you go. Yeah, But the message is, if you don't write it down, it ain't done. And, and that's, yeah. that's the biggest risk. Don't ignore it. 
I think yeah. the other question we get is, do you need a gap analysis? And and I think perhaps this is a good question. What what, what do you consider is a gap analysis? Because I have a different view on it, but perhaps you can share what your view on a gap analysis is. Sure. Well, yeah, as we were discussing before the podcast, I mean, th- there's a, a different approach to what a gap analysis is depending on the, the nature and makeup of your board of directors or your board on the GP. And if you already have, for example, independent directors on your board and also decent Cayman Council, then this should already be in process and you should already be analysing everything and have a good idea of, of where you've got to in terms of compliance. But if you don't, if you are a more smaller fund or there's there's not much independence of any description there, then you absolutely should be speaking to Cayman Council, other professional advisors, governance advisors to undertake a more formal gap analysis of you know, where you are now, what is the nature of your funds and its size, complexity, etc., and where yeah, everyone agrees that you should, you need to get to by, by the fourteenth and thereafter. That's exactly my thoughts, and I think, in, in layman's terms, the way I summarise it is, if your current governing body, which is your directors, are able to articulate to you, the asset manager who's the client, um, how you're achieving governance and where it's captured, your gap is pretty narrow, and 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 you've really pointed out that. Your documents, for the most part, will cover the majority of items that are required. If your governing body doesn't know where to start, or your governing body doesn't know how the rules are being adhered to, chances are, by default, you have a very large gap, and and it could be solved by appointing some professional service providers to that board, for example, or um, having Cayman Council put a roadmap to you saying, well, this is what you currently do, which is good. It's on the right side of the rules. This is what you're not doing, and here's your gaps. And so so for us, one of the things that, and it's, it's a tool we've been using for years, is, is what we call board support. It's basically a fancy way of saying a minutes and agenda that are written and prescribed to yeah. fill the rules and regulations. We designed these things years ago to help us manage our SEC and FCA obligations where there's certain quirks that if you don't monitor your service providers, they'll come back to bite you should there be an issue with a fund. And by good old-fashioned industry standard, the rules are not caught up to us, which is quite a nice way around to be for this part mm-hmm. of the rules. Yeah. And what's really important is that if when clients and managers look at their fund governance process, you've got to write it down somewhere and capture that. And if you have minutes, it's not just about the operations. Actually, it hits on the key topics, which is conflicts of interest, controls and relying on the controls of your service providers, relying on the governance framework and the regulatory compliance of the service providers on top of that, and then going through the various things that we should be considering as a board, things like how many meetings should we have? Do we have the right people? Do we have the right expertise? Are we speaking to legal counsel? Should we get a legal counsel update? It's actually a very good example of governance right now. Listening to this podcast, if you're a governance it's very good governance and, and you should document that somehow and, and, and yeah. let's make a note. It's everything you document towards good governance and framework. To go, and, and those minutes become your audit trail for the next five or seven years, depending on your document retention policies. And this is where firms like Carnies and, and Waystone really do well because we've been doing it for so many years. And while we compete on those natural bits and pieces, you know, if you're a fund manager and you don't know how to do that, reach out. And, and ask for assistance. And I think that's the message that we have for, for today is if all of this sounds great and you're doing it, your gap is quite narrow, the service providers can help you to confirm that. But if this is all new yep. and it's and it sounds a bit daunting, 
you know, reach out to Tama. We'll be very happy to, to help you understand that it's not so daunting. And most of these things are very simple to put into mm. place. It's just a matter of understanding of what they're trying to achieve. Exactly. In the context, again, of the size and complexity of the funds, there'll be a different solution for different managers. But as you say, I mean, keeping good board minutes, board resolutions has been a key point in good corporate governance for decades, if not centuries. And in light of the new rule that's come into force now in the Cayman Islands, which is the 14th of October, I'm not sure we actually mentioned that earlier in the, in the pod, then it's even more important to document all these things, as you say. So I'm just reiterating your point. The short of it for us and for our clients is understand where do you fit in the spectrum of compliance? Are you independent directors, board support, good legal counsel? You've already had a discussion about mm. this. You understand you have some subtle gaps that need to be either documented through a resolution or perhaps you want to pass a simple framework given mm. the nature of your fund. Or yeah. are you on the other side of the spectrum where you have no independent directors, you're doing everything yourself, maybe you're doing self-administration, for example, you haven't even spoken to Cayman Council about this issue, and you're not intending on actually doing anything different other than on the 15th, you're going to continue as normal. If you're on that spectrum, it's going to be a very high risk. And just as an observation, in July, some of the stragglers where we had financial statements that were delayed perhaps due to an audit issue or valuation issue, the audit extension had been filed but not yet received or whatever reason it was, the regulator did actually write letters and say, if you don't file your financial statements or ask for an exemption by prescribed time, the fines that we can levy are $61,000. Now, they can't enforce it just yet until the 15th of October, but it definitely <laughs> makes the away. neck in your head stand up going, wow, that's 61 mm-hmm. grand. That's a very expensive issue for not filing a $300 extension request. And so this is an example yeah. that the regulator is shooting some arrows across the bar saying, guys, industry, we are very serious. Please work with us and we'll, we'll make this work very well for everyone. And I think that's really my parting thought is take it seriously. Consult with your service providers based in Cayman or, or provide your Cayman services and uh, have a plan and, and understand how you actually do this. If you understand what you're doing, you're 90% of the way there. Yeah. So segue into you final thoughts as you said my final thought or one specific one is if the directors if the operators determine not to comply with a particular rule or the particular rule is not applicable based on you know, the size complexity risk profile of the fund etc then it will still need to document that carefully to explain why it's not applicable to enable it to demonstrate to SEMA its reasoning if it's ever investigated that's important and that's something that's that's specifically stipulated in the rules and i guess more generally final thought is if in doubt or even if not even if you think you're not in doubt speak to your camera lawyers your governance advisors and start the conversation if you haven't already absolutely and and document the negative reason of why you don't have something Mm. a remuneration committee is a great example there's no employees that are fund and in the case where i'm appointed as an independent director we appointed by service agreement there is no remuneration but just to be silent on that, the question is, where's your remuneration policy? Whereas a simple sentence in a, in a board meeting or a resolution that says a remuneration policy doesn't apply because of there's no employees in a director. It's a great example. And this is really yeah. where Cayman Council brings a lot of value by helping you draft the correct wording around that. With that, I know we're close to the time and early forward. Over the time, I think. Over the time. <laughs> well, I must say, I really appreciate you, you inviting me to talk about this topic today. I know I, I work closely with your firm and uh, you guys produce fantastic quality of documents. And 
irrespective of the documents, the advice that you give clients is, is very pragmatic and commercially minded. And while it's always based on sound legal advice, it's very helpful as a governance professional working with people that understand how do you get to a commercial point in the most pragmatic and smart way. And, and I find your team and your, your colleagues absolutely fantastic in that. Good. Well, good sales pitch there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I've always, always enjoyed working with Waystone as well over the years. It's been a number of years. So yeah, thank you. Good corporate governance is a cornerstone to institutions spotting issues early and preventing wider regulatory issues from escalating and getting out of control later on. That allied with the fact that Cayman Islands is such a globally important fund jurisdiction means that these new rules and guidance matter. With thanks to our experts, Lyndon and Tom, for a thorough and constructive tour around this new regime. Lyndon, Tom and myself, we hope you found today's podcast helpful. Mm-hmm.